0: Good morning, every one of you. John 21. It's the first scripture that I want to look at this morning. Last week we looked at John 20. Today, primarily, we'll look at John 21. And we almost need to read the entire chapter. to get the context here so in chapter 21 of John verse 1 after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias or Galilee and in this way he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, which is 300 feet, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although they were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. We'll end our reading there and turn to the other scriptures in a moment. We're looking at what Jesus did, what he established, what he taught in the 40 days after his resurrection until his ascension. Next Sunday is on the Christian calendar designated as Ascension Sunday. It's the Sunday prior to his ascension, which is, I think, the 18th of the month. Um, next Sunday being the 14th. Last week we looked in John 20 at what Jesus established as a template, a pattern for whenever Christians gather together to worship. That Jesus, obviously, is always there. He presides. He's there where two or three are gathered together. And He is always seeking to draw us to Himself to build up faith, to draw the, the wandering, um, to bless and encourage those who are walking with him, to promise them and to gather them. <clears throat> it, it's, it's a gathering, but it's a gathering at which gathering takes place. God draws us to himself, to his heart, and to each other. This is what sets us apart as, among other things, as a religion. Uh, when we gather together, the early church was recognized for the love that they had one toward another. And that, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, is the proof, it's the proof, he said, that I sent you. The proof is that you Love one another, that you are one and you love me. Now, here in John 21, which is a different instance than when he appeared to the disciples in John 20, he establishes something a bit different. It's not unmentioned in John 20, but he establishes here the whole business of the ministry, the response of the shepherds to the sheep and the sheep's response back to the shepherds. This is a significant chapter in all that Jesus outlines here, setting up what we still function by today. The whole strategy of keeping the sheep involves A ministry that is called and is appointed and is to give account and is to be listened to, especially the first generation. These were the writers of the New Testament. It's their words that Jesus conveys to us that, in fact, is the single qualification for every book in the New Testament. The the criteria, should this book, there were lots of letters written, lots of books written in the early church. How do you know, how did the early church know which books to include? What belongs in the New Testament and what doesn't? The Holy Spirit, of course, superintended the whole thing, and the one criteria was it was either written by one of the actual 12 apostles and or one of their very close associates. So it was either literally written by an apostle or superintended by the apostles. Jesus established that. Now, I want to just give some thoughts here or note some things that I think um, have to do with the whole business of the ministry. First here, when Jesus appears on the seashore, they've been fishing all night, and it's significant. They fished all night and caught nothing. Okay, Their efforts that evening were for naught. Jesus says cast the net on the right side of the boat. Well, they probably tried every side all night. Got nothing. Jesus said, cast the net on the right side. They did. And engulfed so many fish that the boat was nearly sinking as they tried to get the fish in the net in. They couldn't, so they dragged it to shore. There is a huge message there, a direction there, to primarily the ministers. Jesus directs the ministry. Let me explain what I mean by that. I know that you are not bombarded like I am with emails, stuff in the mail, free books, which 99% of them, maybe closer to 100, find themselves in the dumpster. The ministry today is bombarded with do this, do that, think this, organize that. And there's little metaphors that are used. One of them is a bus. I suppose, since I'm kind of out of it, maybe the bus metaphor is a little bit dated. But nevertheless, it's been the church is like a bus. You're supposed to get the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus and the right people on the bus in the right seats on the bus. Meaning, you as a flawed human being are the manager of all this. Jesus makes it very clear human efforts are for naught. We can't do anything unless Jesus does it through us. He knows where the fertile field is. He knows where the seed that we're to scatter will produce the most. He knows where the fish are. Jesus said, I want you to be fishers of men and not to be ever trite or sacrilegious. Jesus is a fish finder. We go out to Keyhole and we're staring at a little screen because we think, you know, it'll show us some fish. Jesus knows where they're at. He knows every heart. He knows every soul. I'm convinced that there are virtually, in the kingdom of God, in the crossing of paths of people who need the Lord, I don't think that there's ever such a thing as a coincidence. God knows what he's doing when he runs somebody across our path. And he sees every soul. Scripture's clear. He says, his eyes behold all of the sons of men. All of every children, every child, every person made in the image and likeness of God. He sees me. He sees our hearts. And He knows how to send people across paths so they'll get the light of the gospel. They'll hear. He'll sow seed in their heart. He works on them. And I won't, I will stay off of too much of all the nonsense that I deal with as far as inundated with ideas for how to grow your church, how to grow your church. No preacher has ever grown his church we can't (laughs) only Jesus can grow it's his he said so I will what I will build my church it's not our church I don't go to seminars anymore you might think well I don't have any trouble believing that I was, oh, three or four years ago, at an annual conference of the denomination. I was out when they, there was some presentation going on. And you know, I'm not into, I'm not talking about deception and all this kind of stuff. But um, you can kind of pick your phone out and then go outside like you're taking a call to get some coffee because it's balderdash. That this guy is spewing, and he's the 900th one because I've been going to annual conferences for 50 years. Okay? I know what they're going to say, and it doesn't work. In seminary, evangelism class, we had to practice leading one another to the Lord. Okay? And so you team up. And you go through all these canned things that there's a billion of those. And you can buy all these. And you have these little flip charts and you've got all kinds of stuff. And you lead each other. We led each other to the Lord. Well, you got to say the right answers. Do you, you know, do you have a feeling in your heart that you're just kind of missing something? What if they say, no? Oh, then I'm scrolling trying to figure out what do I say next? You understand what I mean? It's nuts. It's nuts. It's human. Totally human. And thus, futile. God prepares the hearts. Proverbs says, the preparation of the heart and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The words He puts in our mouths And the preparation of that heart to which he sends each of us to talk to, that's all of God. He lays all the groundwork. He does all the preparation. He prepares the soil. And then he leads us along, and we plant some seed. And then it's him, Paul said, that grows it. We are like often especially ministers, we can be like the rooster taking credit for the sun coming up. You understand what I mean? I tell you what, sun wouldn't come up unless I crowed. That's nuts. Jesus knew where the fish were, and I think it's an example to them and to us that they toiled all night and got nowhere on their own. Then he said, Cast them down the other side. Other gospels mention, there's several of these kinds of cases, and other gospels mention that they, not belligerently, but they argued with him. We, we've already done that. We already tried that. Then he said, Do what I tell you to do. God directs the ministry. It's, it's all of God. Therefore, the preacher, the ministers can't take credit for it. The most fatal thing a preacher can do is start getting lifted up thinking that he's doing it. He's the one that has been effective. That's, that will kill you spiritually, in a hurry. And the word glory in the New Testament is really often the word shine. And Jesus said, they want to shine or either I shine. Any of us that attempt to steal, as it were, take credit for His shining in order that we might shine, That's the fastest way to get into trouble with God that I know about. So he teaches these disciples and all of us a lesson. I'm the one that has to direct, I know hearts. The second lesson has to do with deep qualification here. What kind of quality, what kind of characteristics the ministry that jesus appointed what i want to it's awkward sometimes to preach about the ministry i'm talking about myself essentially but there are lots of pitfalls for the ministry and so jesus has very 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 clear demands and requirements and he shows us what they are with his conversation with peter Now, we remember Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus. He told Peter, you will deny three times that you know me by the time the rooster crows twice. Jesus is the heart-knower. Peter dismissed that. And we recall before the crucifixion, He took Jesus by the lapels and told him this is not going to happen. To you you're not going to die. You're not going to go to the cross. And I'm not going to fail because he said I love you more than all these other disciples and if every one of them bail out I won't. Jesus said listen you'll deny three times you even know me. No I won't. Now this is not a case of Jesus cruelly demeaning Peter in the front of everybody else, but Peter, he had to, Jesus had to do this. He needed it, and he shows us his requirements because he said to Peter. In front, now there was at least seven or eight of the disciples here, enough that remembered that he threw all them under the bus. Yeah, I know these duds, they'll bail on you, but I won't. He's the only one of them that said he didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't being cruel, but he had to deal with this. And Peter had to deal with it. So, he says... Three times he asks him, do you love me? Peter says, notice Peter's words here. He previously denied, essentially, that Jesus knew his heart. Now he's at least willing to say, Lord, you know. You know I love you. Now, I think most of you won't dwell on this, but it's critical to understanding this, that the words that are used here, and there are three words for in the greek for love two of them are frequently used back and forth in the scripture philo or phileo which is brotherly love affection friendship affection and a we need to remember this a very weak word it was it had been a weak word but the holy spirit elevated that word to a top level, agapao or agape. We've all heard that term used. Before the New Testament, that was a rather little, weak word. It meant preference and used in this way, oh, I prefer I prefer corn over broccoli. It's a it it was a weak word. But in the mouths and the pens of the apostles writing scripture, the Holy Spirit took that little word and elevated it to a status above any other word for love. And it still means technically preference. But literally, it's first. I love you preeminently. You're first. Even to my own life, I prefer you first. So in this conversation, Jesus uses that word. He said, Peter... Now, when he said the word these, Peter, do you agape me more than these? He doesn't, some people think, well, these means all the things of the world, his fishing boat, his career. No. He had said in front of all those disciples, I love you more than these guys. Jesus said, Essentially, then, do you, Peter, agape me before more than m- these guys? Peter answers, I, Phileo, I have a warm, affectionate friendship towards you. He changed the word. Jesus said, Do you agape me? He said, I love you in an affectionate brotherly way. Jesus said the second time, well he told him, feed my little lambs and the second time same thing do you agap, agape Peter answered, Lord you know I brotherly left Philadelphia, That's where the i brotherly love you i have a warm friendly affection for you it's not what jesus asked him then the third time jesus dropped down that's why it says peter was grieved and the word here is a strong word he was wounded he was cut because jesus dropped down he says peter me, more than these guys? And he answered, that grieved him, and he answered once again, I love you with an affectionate, brotherly kind of love. What was Jesus doing there? He was pointing out a couple things. One, He's pointing out what it was that caused Peter to deny that he knew Jesus in the first place. He had a genuine love for Jesus, but he wasn't first. Peter's own hide (laughs) was, really, Peter, you could say, agape. He agaped himself. Because to save his own hide... He said, I don't know him, when he saw things were heading south. He needed to see that as an explanation. And it needed to be in front of the apostles that were gathered, the other disciples gathered there, who he had discarded. And it also is a preparation all through these 40 days and prior to that Acts makes it clear. Jesus had repeatedly talked to them about, you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to fall upon you and cleanse your hearts of everything but perfect love for me. So what's Jesus doing here? He's helping Peter explain why that catastrophic train wreck of denying him, where'd that come from? And then also, he's preparing him to see that that's what needs to be changed in his heart. But he encourages Peter, because even though he points these deep flaws out to him, he is looking past that, and he's saying, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he goes ahead and predicts, which occurred, that he would be martyred for the faith. And it was about 34, 35 years later that Peter, tradition is quite strong, that he was crucified in Rome and that Peter, at his insistence, was crucified head down because he said, I I don't even deserve to be crucified in the same position Jesus was. So Jesus... Even though he pointed out this temporary, serious flaw in Peter's heart, that he didn't love Jesus preeminently, he proceeded with him as if it would be fixed, and it was. It was cured on the day of Pentecost when Peter said, My heart was purified by faith. And from then on, he was a different man. Now, we need to keep moving. Peter, if we quickly turn to his first letter, Peter got the message. Because in the fifth chapter of 1 Peter, he says this, "'The elders who are among you I exhort, "'I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ "'and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed,' shepherd the flock of god which is among you in other versions back in john 21 the same words use shepherd shepherd the flock notice here shepherd the flock of god which is among you serving as overseers that's almost not contradictory at all but it's it has two meanings you're an overseer you're in charge but you're serving and then he distinguishes what he means serving as overseers not by constraint but willingly in other words not griping that you've been called in the ministry and there's no way to you got to stay in the ministry or you'll lose your soul by disobeying god and i gotta do it and these people drive me nuts and i tell you don't don't do this job like that he said do it willingly Gladly. Grateful. Paul told Timothy the same thing. He said, I thank God that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Then he said, also, do not do it for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Your motivation cannot be. Paul said to the Philippians... He said, we, the apostles and himself, we seek you, not yours. That's critical. Let me just throw this in real quick. I suppose I've said something about this. I got this from my father and a bunch of other ministers. <clears throat> I never check the giving. I don't know who gives what. On a rare occasion, if someone will tell me or give me something, that's fine. But I don't go check the records. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. Because God does. (laughs) He knows your checkbook. I don't need to know. And it also enables me to maintain objectivity there's the temptation if somebody is let's say somebody is bankrolling the church and they start acting up and as the overseer you've got to talk to them maybe confront them you've got to say hey listen we. Got I don't want to know I don't want to have to deal with that I think a lot of preachers don't do that but I know I'm right Okay I've only been wrong once, and that's I thought I'd made a mistake, but I didn't. <laughs> I just think it's best that we're not we avoid temptation there um, you You will be tempted to curry favor with those who may give generously or Dismiss those who can't and don't. I don't need that. So, Peter said, you do it eagerly, not for trying to gain dishonest gain, nor third, here's three checks here he gives them, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being rather examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So three checks here on what can be abused with the the influence and the authority of a minister. Now, the last scripture that I want to look at is in Hebrews 13, 17. I'll just read that quickly. This is instruction to the laity, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Now, this is not talking about civil authority, the police or the judge or whoever, because of the next phrase, because they watch for your soul as those who must give account. So he's not talking about civil authority here. This is within the church. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. There is a sense in which, and I, I, I hope you understand me here, God's not hard to deal with. And fortunately the, conversa- the congregations I've had aren't, haven't been hard to deal with either. But the preacher's caught in the middle. He's got to answer to God. And he may have to say or do things. Paul told Timothy, you rebuke them sharply. Who likes that? nobody and who thinks the preacher ought to do that what right do you have listen as long as it's scriptural and it's redemptive the preacher has to give account to god not us not the sheep the chief shepherds paying attention we have to answer to them answer to him Then let them, that's the sheep, let them do so, meaning obey submissively, with joy. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Let the minister do his job with joy and not with grief. Or the word grief is groaning. It says because basically, here's what it's saying. And again, there are times, I I don't preach on this hardly ever. But if you drive the preacher nuts and he's groaning and he's laying awake nights worrying about it, God said that wouldn't be profitable for you, meaning the sheep. Don't be a problem to the shepherd. Okay? Now, you know what makes it easier for me to say that even though I don't like to preach about myself? I don't want the devil to hear this. but we have a wonderful congregation and we don't seem to deal with that kind of stuff. This is absolutely the best group I could pastor. So it makes it easy. But I do know I've been over churches and had to deal with unbelievable situations of unkindness and just cruelty towards a faithful minister who was doing his best. Now, not every minister is the best as far as gifts and so forth. But if we'll approach, and I, I, I make myself do this. When I'm visiting, I'm on vacation, I go to church somewhere. I, I do remember John Wesley made this statement. Now, he wasn't talking about a preacher who's not sticking to Scripture. That's a heretic. He's not talking about that. But Wesley said, if I go to church with the attitude the Lord can give me something today from his word and so forth, he said, I can receive food and blessing from the worst preacher in London. Okay. A lot of things have to do with how I, how I approach it. So gifted or less, whatever, we're all over the map in the ministry. But if someone loves God, sticks to Scripture as best he can, and we follow checking them by Scripture, that is a recipe for a wonderful relationship and a wonderful congregation. Now, I have to quit there's, a, there's an awful lot that Jesus, in addition to what we looked at, said here. That is, maybe sometime we can look at errors here, either side. But this is Jesus' establishment of the the word tend, by the way, he says tend my sheep. The word tend literally means govern, order, not, not order in the sense of barking orders, but Setting order, structure, channels of authority, a board, voting. Those are the things that we are to keep order in. And Jesus set all that up. If we go by Him and His instructions, He blesses us. Let's, we'll just close and prepare our hearts here for the Lord's Supper which we'll conclude the service with and so let's pray um, both to conclude this portion and to prepare for communion Father in heaven we pray that we would pattern ourselves whether it be laity whether it be ministry whatever it is after your template that you gave us, there is blessing in it when we follow your directions. And we acknowledge, Lord, you are the head of the church. And as Paul said, he who plants, he who waters is nothing. You're the one that gives the increase. And so we thank you and humble our hearts before you as we prepare here for the Lord's Supper in remembrance that you shed your blood for us. Lord, help us in our hearts, to the bottom of our hearts, to love you supremely and submit our hearts to you, as the Scripture says, even unto death. In Christ's name we pray.